Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all this sunny Sunday morning. Um, my name is Dan. I'm not the Pastor Dan. I was, uh, many of you know Pastor Dan Morgan's on his way back from Idaho. He went and he officiated a funeral there for, a, I, I believe, a pastor that he's known for a lot of years. So he's in Orofino, Idaho, on his way back today. So I'm going to be filling the pulpit this morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dan. I'm the high school pastor here at the church. But before we get started this morning, um, this is near and dear to my heart, Veterans Day. I want to see if we can just take a moment this morning before I start to share the message and ask anyone in this room that is a veteran, would you please stand so we can recognize you this morning? Please keep standing just for a second, you guys, if you would, please. Listen to me. We love you guys, and we are so grateful for your service and your sacrifice for our freedoms in our nation that um, we just want to tell you that we love you, and we're very, very grateful for all that you've done for us and for our nation. And if you'd stay standing for just a moment, I'm going to pray for you guys. But I know there's some people watching online as well at home that are veterans as well, and just want to let you know that we appreciate you too. Um, we know you couldn't make it for whatever reason this morning, but um, we're very grateful for you as well. But we've done a lot of stuff in the high school year, high school room over the years for veterans. And the one thing that veterans often will say to me is, some of you served during wartime and you saw conflict, and some of you didn't. But I want to let you know whether you saw conflict or whether, whether it was in wartime or a time of peace, your service for us is still as important and as, we are still as grateful for it because what you did is you offered yourselves up to go wherever our country needed you to go for our freedom. So whether it's in wartime or a time of peace, we are grateful for what you've done for us. So never, ever downplay or underestimate what you've done for us. I don't care the circumstance or situation you were in when you served, you served. And for that, we are grateful. So let, if you guys would, please stand, keep standing. I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll move on in the service. Father in heaven, we are grateful. We come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. And I wanna lift up these veterans today, Lord, to you. Because I've talked to many of them and I know some of the stories and some of the memories that they have, Lord, are not very pleasant. And some of the experiences that they've had are um, life-changing and memorable and they'll never forget them. So whatever experience they had, whatever memories they have, I pray that they know that you, Lord, are grateful for their service as well because you, of all people, understand sacrifice. So we just want to lift these veterans up to you, ask that you would bless them today, comfort them, strengthen them, and let them know in their hearts, Lord, that there is a nation and a people that love them and are very grateful for what they've done and what they've provided and the sacrifice that they've made along with their families, Lord. I want to pray for their families as well because when they go off to serve, the families stay home and they serve. So that, that both those groups of individuals, the families and the veterans, Lord, we are grateful for them. Ask a blessing over them this day and that you would keep them close to you in all that they do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so this morning, um, I'm going to carry the message for just a little bit. If you would, we're probably going to close with a song if everything goes the way it's supposed to. We'll close with a song. I'll come up and pray, but I want to let you know, stay put, because we're going we're gonna to have the opportunity to take communion at the end of the service this morning, if I remember. we got a lot going on this morning. i got to remember all this. There's a lot of pressure on the high school pastor. And not only that, but i got to tell you a little story before I start to preach, and I've got like 20, 25 minutes this morning to share the messages about all I've got. But about two weeks ago, <clears throat> I'm in my garage, and I've got a workbench, and I do a little bit of tinkering with wood, right? Well, I've got this garbage can sitting right next to my bench, and I don't have to wear my glasses all the time. <clears throat> I take them off a lot when I'm doing stuff because I can't see up close. 
laid my glasses on my bench. It was out there doing stuff and cleaned off my bench. Yeah, you're picking up what I'm laying down, aren't you? My glasses went in the, in the garbage can that's laying there with a bunch of wood and sawdust and chips. And I picked that garbage can up not knowing it. I dumped it in the big dumpster. Yeah, and I started, I hollered at Rachel. I'm like, Rachel, I can't, and, and here's the problem. I can only see so far, so I can't find my glasses if I don't have my glasses on. So I got a real dilemma going on. So my wife and I are out there searching around. I went, I know where they're at. Rachel's like, no. And I'm like, yeah. So I start digging through the big dumpster, and sure enough, there they are. I'm like, yes, I found them. But I had ADD, or have ADDH, and when I was in school, they actually gave me little white pills to calm me down a little bit. Well, this morning, what happened when I dumped them in the garbage can I have a scratch right across the colored part of my eye, right where I look out, and I get distracted extremely easy. So if I'm up here and all of a sudden you're like, where did he go? You'll know why now, because the scratch on my glasses took me place that I didn't really intend to go. So hang in there with me this morning. This is going to be fast and furious as it is. Um, so we'll see what God does with this. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we deserve. This morning, I want to talk to you guys about the, the word grace. And I want to look at this idea that by the grace of God go I. Have you ever heard that term? That's kind of an older term, but by the grace of God I go, or by the grace of God go I. The grace of God is such a critical thing within Scripture that it is one of the most vital elements to the foundational, to the foundational elements to the gospel of Jesus Christ is grace. And I want to look at this this morning, and I'm not going to have enough time to do it justice, if you will, but if you would, hang in there with me, because what I want to do is I want to look into the book of Titus. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Titus, chapter 2 this morning, because I want to look at this idea of grace, and I think Titus, the, the, the letter to, that Paul wrote to Titus gives us a great example of this. So we're going to dig deeper into that letter this morning, but I want to give you some background on Titus, because I, I find it very intriguing, because it's one of my favorite books in Scripture. It's a little three-chapter book, not a lot there, but Titus is such a critical part to Scripture, and he played such an important role to the Apostle Paul that I want to cover a little bit of Titus before I get into this idea of grace this morning. Titus's name actually means honorable. That's what the name means, and as I break this down, I think you'll start to see that this man was a man of honor, and he meant a ton to Paul. The letter to Titus is actually a pastoral letter, as Timothy, our first and second Timothy, their pastoral letters are how to put the church together and to give them advice as far as what it looks like. So if you read the book of Titus, and I would encourage you to do that, the letter that Paul wrote to Titus, chapter one is an order, it's order in leadership is what chapter one is all about. Chapter two is order in discipleship. And then chapter three of Titus is, is kind of an order in stewardship. How do we take care of it? So if you go read that, that would be a good thing for you to do after I'm done sharing the message today. So the whole theme of Paul's letter to Titus is order in the church. And we have a pastor that has done a masterful job of teaching myself and Tanner what it looks like that there's order in the church because it is important because God is a God of order. So the whole theme to the letter of Titus is order in the church. Titus was a, he was a Greek so he was a convert of Paul's. They say it was probably on his first missionary journey that he was actually converted by Paul's teaching. He's mentioned 13 times in the New Testament. When you read through the New Testament, you'll see Titus's name pop up everywhere. He's mentioned nine times in 2 Corinthians alone. And, and here's the deal. He was a very in, uh, important role to Paul, but he encouraged Paul. He encouraged Paul in a way that Paul doesn't mention anyone else like this in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 7, verses 5 through 6, 
Paul writes this, we were faced in conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. Sound familiar? With battles on the outside and fear on the inside, not knowing what to do. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. So while all this is going on in their lives, all this stuff is happening, Titus becomes an encouragement to them. God sent them, God sent Titus to them to encourage them. And I got to thinking about this. You want to be an encouragement to your pastor? We do, don't we? When we see Pastor Dan, we want to be an encouragement to him, right? Can I tell you how to do that? Simply put, the best way you can do that, follow God. You have no idea, you guys, what an encouragement it is, it is to a pastor when you see a, a person just, no matter what the circumstance is, they're just following God. That's what Titus was doing. Paul used Titus, he, he lifted him up and he used him as a Gentile who didn't need to be circumcised because God had gotten a hold of Titus's heart and changed him. So when you see Titus, if you ever want to be like Titus in scripture and you want to be an encouragement to someone like Paul or Pastor Dan, if you will, follow God. That's the best encouragement that you can give to our pastor. But here's the deal. Paul sent Titus, left him on the island of Crete. I don't know if you guys know much about Crete, but it was not a very nice island. It was horrible. Nobody knows how the church got started in Crete, but they figure it was from uh, the day of Pentecost during Acts 2 when everyone's speaking in different tongues in the upper room. The island of Crete, their language was used that day. It was pointed out in Scripture. So that's more than likely how the church got started, how it got planted in Crete was that way, but the church in Crete was an absolute mess. They had false teaching, they had bad leadership, it was terrible. So Paul takes Titus and sends him to this island. It's almost like, it's, it's, if you look at the map, it's south, I think it's south of the, the southern tip of Greece. Out in the middle of nowhere, there's this island that's 170 miles long and 35 miles wide, and Paul sends the guy who encourages him, who he loves, he sends him to Crete. Thanks, boss. I mean, think about that. You're thinking, wait a minute, I'm an encouragement to you. You love me and you do this to me. But Paul knew that Titus was converted, that he meant he loved the Lord and he was going to be a very good leader on the island of Crete to basically put the church in order. So that's what you see going on here. Here's a great description. If you look at the island in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, one of Crete's own prophets says this about the Cretans. See if I can find it here in my notes. Um, one of Crete's own prophets said this, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. That's how the people were described on this island that Titus was going to. So Paul writes Titus this letter to give him advice on how to keep the church in order, how to rebuild the church that's there so they follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to me, when I looked at Titus and I looked at what was going on here, it really parallels with what we're going through today, not this church, but as a church. It's kind of a mess when you look around. You got people ordaining homosexuals. You got people following false doctrine. It's an absolute train wreck the church itself. So when you look at this, I thought today would make sense, especially as we lean into communion at the end of this, that we could look at this and hopefully it'll make a little bit of sense as I break this down. So we're going to read it, it, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 are the verses I want to read this morning, okay? So chapter 2 of Titus, verses 11 through 14, these are some of the clearest verses in the Bible on grace and what grace provides to a believer. So let's read this. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us <clears throat> to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I got four quick points this morning I want to cover this morning on what grace provides, listen now, to a believer. There is pervenient grace, a grace that goes before us. And if you're a believer in this room and you've given your life to Christ, you've already experienced pervenient grace. Pervenient grace is like this. When God went into the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned and God went into the garden, what did God do? Do you remember? It says he walked in the garden with him daily. And we got in the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? Remember that? And then what Adam did, and if you're a believer, what you've done is you answered back. I'm hiding in the bushes, but here I am. That's provenient get grace. God calling to you before you ever respond to him. So if you're a believer in this room, you've already responded to the first part of grace, and that's provenient grace. The grace that goes before is the definition of provenient grace. And that is such an amazing thing because God calls to you and then out of conviction, we respond to God's call. That's how we end up being believers. But what I want to do is look at verse 1, or verse 11. The very first point is this. It provides salvation. Grace provides salvation. Verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It appeared in the, grace appeared in the form of a baby in a manger. We're going to celebrate that in about two months. We're going to celebrate Christmas. From the cradle to the cross, our Savior went. That's why he came. That grace appeared. And as that baby in a manger grew up, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that's the grace of God that we're talking about with salvation this morning because there's no other way to get there but by the grace of God through Jesus Christ as our Savior. That shed blood on a cross, that's why that's so important. But it struck me how Paul is writing this to Titus. Titus already knows this. This morning, a lot of you may be going, well, duh, we know this already. And some of you may be in here like I was when I first got saved. I didn't know any of this stuff. <clears throat> but if you're in here this morning <clears throat> and you're thinking to yourself, Dan, I know this. Great, so did Titus. But this is how Paul advises Titus to build this church up, remember, on the island of Crete and to live his life. Titus didn't just teach it. He lived it. And that's the one thing I watch about Pastor Dan and Pastor Tanner in this church. They don't just preach it. They live it. And I'd like to think I have that same definition in my life, and you would too. We don't want to live a life where we have to look over our shoulder where we don't know what's going on. I talked to this person and said that, lied about that, and then I went over there and I'm living this way, and then I'm over there and I'm living that way. I lived that way. And I refer to that as a, a, a life where you got to look over your shoulder constantly, and it's exhausting. What you see is what you get. If I drive you crazy, I'm sorry, but I love God. But what you see is what you get, whether you follow me around my house, whether you follow me through the high schools or at church or wherever I'm at, are you that way? Because see, that's what Titus was. Titus was who he was, and he taught it that way. But Paul's reminding him here, this point, the way of salvation was concealed for a time. We have a good, good father we sang this morning, right? Do you trust his timing? Because for the longest time, Christ was never revealed. Now, Paul is writing to Titus to remind the people on the island of Crete, it's about Christ. It's been revealed. 
He's died on the cross. He's been raised from the grave. This is why we're Christians, and this is the way we live. So it's been, it's been concealed for a time, but Paul says, now it has appeared. Galatians 4, 4 says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman. When the time had fully come, he sent his son. Paul writes it this way in Romans 16, 25. The message I can proclaim about Jesus Christ is in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. But now it's appeared. And that's what Paul is telling Titus. Tell everyone it's appeared. The grace of salvation has appeared through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what he's trying to get across here. Matthew Henry puts it this way. The gospel of grace brings salvation from sin and wrath, from death and hell. Our pastor's done a phenomenal job of the end time study, right? Eschatology. If you haven't listened, I go back and listen. He did that for like four weeks, and he did a really good job of here's why. But you do not want to turn away from this idea that has appeared. Because it is appeared for you to keep you out of hell, to keep you from experiencing death and the wrath. I remember when I got this idea that I realized that Jesus Christ drank the cup of wrath that was meant for me of God's wrath that was meant for me. And it changed my life. I knew the cross. I knew the empty grave. But when I realized that Jesus drank the cup of wrath that was meant for me, as Matthew Henry says, to keep me out of hell, to keep me from experiencing the cup of wrath that was meant for me, he said, no, I got this. I'll be your substitute if you confess and you allow me to do it. So that's a couple of things. But there's, there's another way of this putting a saving grace definition. A lot of you will know this, unmerited favor. And I thought, okay, unmerited, what's, what's that really mean? And it means undeserved. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. We deserve hell because we're rebellious people against God. But, but unmerited favor, remember, grace is something I get that I don't deserve. Another way of putting this is undeserved love and favor of God toward fallen man. So the Bible makes it very clear, very clear that we are saved by grace and grace alone. That's it. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 we all know this for the most part, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works that no man should boast. It is by the grace of God that we're saved, and that's it. So grace provides salvation. And it's, it, some people will abuse this grace. I watch people abuse grace all the time. In other words, I can go on sinning without consequence. If you're living a life of sin and you think there's no consequence because of grace, you better hang on because there's a big surprise coming for you down the road. Don't you dare. You think about this, you guys. You think about what Jesus, what God the Father gave us through the Son and the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to take advantage of that? We're going to go on sinning because God gives us the grace not to and a grace to forgive us if we do? How dare us do that? That's crazy when you think about it, isn't it? When we sit in our seats in church, we're like, oh, yeah, that makes tons of sense. But what are you doing when you're by yourself, which I'll talk about in a few minutes? When you're out of the church and you're living your week on a, th on a Thursday, what are you doing? What are you thinking about? What, how are you living? You've got to make sure. Paul says it this way. We should not take, care, take grace for granted because Paul says in Romans 6, 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That rests on me when I'm getting a message like this ready. I sit back and I look at my life and I examine what am I doing. And the, in, the inclusivity of grace is this. Although it has appeared and salvation is for all men, not all men are going to be saved. 
there will be some of you sitting in this church, unfortunately, over the years, and some watching online that will not be saved. God will not force you to step into a relationship with him. He will not force you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. He'll offer it up. He'll provide you anything. He will convict you. He will encourage you. He will call you. But he will not make you be saved. That's up to you. That's up to you what you do with this idea of Jesus Christ dying on a cross and giving his life for us. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says it this way. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ. All people to be saved. He tarries that no one should perish. I, I, I held my breath for 38 years I was dead until I got to know him when I turned 38 years old and I gave my life to him because he called me and I finally answered and I came out of the bushes. So grace is for everyone, but not everyone is going to be saved. But here's the deal. If a person's going to accept saving grace, you better be ready for training grace. That's the second point is training grace. That's what we're going to be looking at very quickly here. That same grace that provides salvation also enables us to live out our salvation. In verse 12, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to leave self-control upright in godly lives in this present age. So the same grace that saves me is the same grace that trains me to live out my salvation. You've got to reject this. Do you know that? You've got to say, I don't want to be taught by Scripture. I don't want to live out 2 Timothy 3.16, where it says, it teaches me all the things that I need to know. It reproves me, it teaches me, it rebukes me, it encourages me, it convicts me. You've got to say no to training grace. But if you've said yes to salvation, to saving grace, training grace should be easy because now you're like, Lord, I want to live for your glory. When you realize what Christ has done for you and he drank that cup of wrath and he died so to keep you out of hell and to get you back into a relationship with God, how could we not want to be trained on how to live out our salvation? Does that make sense? So when you look at this, it's important that we understand this. Training grace helps me to say no, but it also helps me to say yes. 2 Peter 1.3 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for godly living through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. He's given you everything you need. Receive it. Take it. Walk with it. Live for him. First, it teaches me to say no. Training grace teaches me to say no to ungodliness. And ungodliness and worldly passions are just anything that don't glorify God. This is not rocket science. Listen, a guy no brighter than I am, a guy who can understand very little about the Bible but understands the gospel, knows this. Anything that doesn't bring glory to God, I shouldn't be doing. And he gives me the grace not to do it. We have no excuses. We've got to refuse that grace, that training grace that's going to teach me that. So it teaches me to say no. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever I eat, whatever I drink, whatever I do, I do it to the glory of God. Do you? Whatever you watch on television, whatever you listen to, the language you use, the alcohol you consume, the things you watch on the computer, gentlemen, does it bring glory to God? If it doesn't, Ask him to help you. He'll give you the grace to kick that, to have victory over it and not do it anymore. It's not rocket science. But here's the deal. It's, this verb is it's a one-time deal. It's, it's the eros. It's the point action. It's, okay, I've dealt with this. I'm going to say no to the world and yes to God. And see, that's where most people go wrong. And you've heard me teach this before. What we do is we say no to that. No, I'm not doing that. Watch, I'm facing the no. I'm facing ungodly living. I'm facing unrighteousness. No. I'm not doing that. I am not living that way. No. 
But what I haven't done is repent. Repent means to change my mind and turn away from that. Watch. I say no to this. I'm not living that way. And I say yes to God. I don't just sit here in this vast wasteland in front of me, not knowing what to do, thinking I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And if I don't want to do that long enough, I'm going to do it again because that's all I'm thinking about. But if I repent and turn all the way around to God, then I can live a self-controlled, upright, righteous life because I got my eyes fixed on the one that gives me the grace to do it. Make sense? It's not rocket science, is it? It's very simple when you think about it. So it teaches me to say no, and it teaches me to say yes. And this other thing stood out to me in this. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Is the world a mess? Yes? Does anybody else watch the news beside me? The world is a mess, isn't it? We're supposed to live this way in this present age. Not when it gets better. Not when we got the right president. Not when everything's wonderful and I got money in the bank. We're supposed to live this way right now in the present age. Believers have been doing this for generations. We have examples all through scripture on what this looks like. When Paul served Nero, he was writing this stuff. Nero burned Christians alive for his garden party lights. We're not there yet, are we? You know, as so I say yet, because I know that the desires of a man's heart are only evil all the time, unless they know God. So in this present age, we're supposed to live this way, folks. And we don't do it by our own strength. We do it by the grace of God, but we got to let him give us that grace to do, to do that and to live that way. The third point is this, provide hope. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus, good, the, the, the appearing of the great and glorious God and Savior Jesus Christ. This word, waiting, has a tendency of eagerness. My wife and I were reading in our devotional times here about a month ago. We went through the book of Titus. And Titus uses this word, Paul uses this word when he writes to Titus, eager. Are you eager for your faith? Are you eager for the Lord to return? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're waiting for the Lord's return. That's why we're doing this stuff. That's why it keeps me living this way. It keeps my eyes focused on him no matter what I'm doing. And Paul uses this God and Savior, not as two different people. He's talking about Jesus Christ. A lot of people will say Jesus Christ never claimed to be God in Scripture. They're not reading Scripture. Jesus is God the Son, period. And Paul makes it very clear in this verse right here that we're waiting for our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we got to make sure that we're watching this. You ever, when I was a kid, I got to close here in just a minute. When I was a kid, <clears throat> I was a brat once in a while. I know it's hard to believe. And my mom would tell my brother and I, you wait till your dad gets home. And don't you think for a second that you wait till your dad gets home didn't change our attitude and didn't change our behavior because we didn't want the paddle when dad got home. Make sense? Dad's coming home. Jesus Christ is returning to this earth. And that should change my attitude and my behavior as a Christian to keep an eternal perspective in the midst of temporal situations. Make sense? I got to keep my eyes fixed on him because he's coming back and I don't know when. Again, go back to Pastor Dan's study. I don't know when he's going to return, but I know he's coming back. And as a believer and as a follower of Jesus Christ, that should change my attitude about being a Christian. I have to read my Bible today. No, I get to read my Bible today. Make sense? I have to go. No, I get to go to church. I have to go to youth group again. No, you get to go to youth group. 
And if you're, if you're begrudging because of that, you ask God to help you with that. Clean up your heart. Give you a new heart. Help you with your attitude because he's coming back. Because I know when I was a kid, when dad come through that door, I didn't want mom going, hey, we need to talk. Because <laughs> there wasn't that much fun when that happened. And the last thing is this. Number four. So the third one is provide hope. Number four is this. Provide separation. Who gave his life for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. He redeems us, you guys, from all wickedness. And I don't have time to say much about this this morning, but that all wickedness is that sinful nature as well. It's not just from the verb sin, the actions. It's also from what we're not even culpable for, but the noun that we're born with, that sinful nature. He wants to purify you. The thing that drives us to sin, he wants to do away with that for you. He doesn't just come to save us. He comes to purify us. That word redeem means to sit, he set us free by paying a price. Jesus Christ redeemed us back into a relationship. And Paul makes it very clear that is with a high price that Jesus Christ paid. A very high price. Christ's act of sacrifice is summed up in these words. He gave his life. He gave his life to redeem you back into relationship with God by the grace of God. Are you willing to give yours? We sang it this morning. How deep the Father's love for us. Right? How vast beyond all measure. Are you willing to give your life to him? Are you willing to be able to echo the words that Paul says in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He loved us and gave himself for us to demonstrate that love to us. Romans 5.8 While we were still sinners... Christ demonstrates his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How are you going to demonstrate your love for him? Because I know you love him. I know a lot of you in this church are good, faithful Christians. And you love God dearly, and you're so grateful for what Christ has done for you and the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. But are you willing to surrender your life completely to him? That's the question. When you look at the grace that God gives us. It provides those things. Salvation, training, hope of his return. Man, that's a big hope that he returns. But that's a promise. That's not a wish for. He's going to return. And then to purify us, to set us apart, to separate us from this nasty world that we can live in the world but not be of the world. We've got to live here in this present age, but we do it upright and righteous, and pure, and self-controlled, because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. So don't tell me you can't. You won't. If you're fighting with sin, you guys, you've got to realize it's about surrendering your life to Him. Now, I'm going to go five minutes over this morning, if that's okay with you guys, because I want Jessica to come up and sing this song for us. And I want you guys just to meditate on the words of this song, because I think this song changes everything when you look at the grace of God. So as Jessica's playing this song this morning, I want you to ask yourself, do I really believe? Have I given my life to him? Do I understand how much he loves me? And then when this song is playing, the altar is always open because we're going to step into communion in just a moment. 
And I want all of you to be able to do communion with us this morning because your hearts are right with God. First time salvation, if you need to repent or you just want to give him glory from your chair or wherever you want to do that. But this morning, pay attention to the song. Then I'll close in prayer and then we'll, we'll uh, partake of communion. Jess? pray in just a moment, but I had this thought. If you look at what we talked about this morning, that is the pattern of a Christian life. I give my life to Christ. Then I begin being trained up on how to live out my salvation. And then I'm sanctified and purified of heart. 
What a pattern that Paul writes to Timothy or Paul writes to Titus to teach the people on the island of Crete and to teach us this morning. What a great way to live your life by following scripture. Salvation, training, sanctification. What a perfect way to honor God and bring him glory in all that we do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are good. And I'm so grateful, Lord, for the opportunity this morning um, to share these thoughts that you've given me with everyone else here today and watching online. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that these words would not pass without notice, that they would not pass without merit. Paul says, I am what I am because of the grace of God. May we have that same confession as a church. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand more deeply by reading your word what your grace provides for us as believers. Brand these things on our heart, I pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.